Hello, welcome to the 10th episode of the Derailed Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Fred. Fred, we're in double digits. Yes, 10. Yeah, double digits. Nice. Well done to everyone who made it this far. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so today our main kind of topic, if you can call it that, is we managed to get a play-in of 1849. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but um, maybe before that I can talk about our social media and Okay. Email engagement has become customary for the, the social of the happenings. Show. Yeah. So we got very good feedback on our weird South African segment. Yes, I saw some on yeah. Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was really cool. So we're glad you guys like that. We'll keep doing that. We mm. won't make it a huge part, and we'll stick it at the end so you can just turn it off. <laughs> Skip that part. I'm totally want, uninterested. Yeah. yeah, but I appreciate everyone reaching who reached out and said that they enjoyed it. It was a fun extra. So. Yeah, I think yes. we'll stick with that for as long as we can. Mm. And yeah, I got an email from um, Per, uh, who I believe is from Sweden. And he was saying that um, he was actually the one, because I mentioned that someone had told me that they like kind of the South African flavor stuff. And that's what okay. kind of inspired that segment. Yeah, it was actually him that did that. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. He sent me a really cool email, actually. It was very long. I did he regret his first email? <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently not. So that's something. Okay. But um, yeah, so he said that he sent me a really long email. But in his email, which I thought was interesting, was a list of his top 18xxs. And there were 18 different titles there. Oh, wow. But number one was 1849. Really? Yeah, so it seems appropriate to mention since we're discussing it. Interesting. Today. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I also got an email from Garrett who had a suggestion for our next topic of discussion for South Africanisms. Okay. Um, yeah, but we'll get to that at the end. Are we going to do that on his suggestion today? Yeah, I think okay. we can do his suggestion okay, today. Okay, cool. Yeah, so thanks for that, Garrett. And yeah, we always appreciate getting some kind of feedback. It's very exciting for us to hear from anyone, really. So, yes, it is always nice. Yeah. yeah, thanks very much. So getting into 1849, perhaps we should talk a little bit about, I guess, first, what makes it different, what is kind of going on in 1849. Okay. Yeah, so 1849 is set in Sicily. Um, I'm not sure which year. 49? <laughs> <laughs> so I was going for a terrible joke. <laughs> It's too deadpan for you. <laughs> you looked legit I know. confused. <laughs> so you fooled me. <laughs> yeah, I should have given you a wink. They can't see that one. Um, yeah, so 1849 is, is quite interesting. It's got a few different things that we haven't seen before. So the two big things that we haven't played before are hex trains, which are trains that count the hexes you're going across rather than the number of stops. Right, yes. And also has dual gauge track. So it has narrow gauge and standard gauge track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and how that functions in game essentially is that there's different building costs for each one. And in Sicily, the building costs are enormous. It's apparently just mountains everywhere that side. Yes. So, yeah, there's some extremely expensive terrain costs, like 160, um, I think it's lira in that game. It um, is, yeah. 160 lira to build. And that cost never goes away. So even yeah. when you upgrade that tile, it's 160 again. So narrow gauge costs a quarter of what standard gauge costs. Mm. The downside to it being is that it counts as two tiles when you're counting hexes rather than one. Yeah. So the hex trains, it counts that, that location twice, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. With the yeah. exception of a permanent train that comes at the end that reverses that, where narrow yes. is one and standard is two, yeah. um, which is quite an interesting, weird kind of addition because it's a very cheap train, but it's the last train to get unlocked. Yes, and it's a permanent train. It's a very cheap permanent train, so it can kind of bail you out if you're in trouble 
Yeah. No so worth, I think um, in terms of the emergency bar yes. that you might have to do, um, if you can get that one, it, it can definitely save you from bankruptcy or something like that. Um, yes. Yeah. So that was quite interesting. We didn't really get to play with that too much. There's only two of them, I believe. So they, they'll only bail you out so many times. Yes. We didn't. I don't think anyone bought one of those. No, mm-hmm. I don't think. I don't think we quite got to them. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is something to do with perhaps the way we play the game which i want to talk about more because i did a bit of reading afterwards okay rather than doing reading before i came in <laughs> i came in naked and afraid but right yeah then I, I i did a little bit of reading afterwards in terms of how people think about the game and strategy and stuff and, and as always it's very different to how we we actually played it okay yeah the other thing about it is that it's um it's partial incremental capitalization mm-hmm. so it floats at 20 percent, and the money that you put in you buy shares with goes straight into the treasury yes and shares are basically owned by the company yes yeah you can also issue bonds but we didn't play with that that's for the advanced game so we just thought we'd try out with the ignored that for the moment the standard version there's also an electric dreams variant and i'll be honest i don't really have any idea what it does it adds electric trains and all this stuff but i don't i didn't read that part of the rules because i knew we wouldn't bother with the variants this early on so just play the base game first yeah yeah but there's a few little things extra that we can add um because we played a three-player game of it it meant that we removed one company from the game Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is something that happens only if you play with three players if you play with four players you have the option of playing with either five or six corporations six being the total number okay. and then with five players you have to play with six right okay six. yeah uh yeah. anything else that i've kind of missed in terms of it there's a weird thing with a volcano <laughs> there's a volcano that erupts and i know that sounds really weird for an 18xx but uh its impact isn't enormous but i think it's something that you could potentially plan around or use but one of the cities basically gets nuked back mm. down to yellow and every station on there gets destroyed along gets with removed, it yeah. yeah so yeah. i've heard of people saying that there's some tricky stuff that you can do with that if you time it correctly and stuff like that but yeah i think it's it's more there for some kind of historical benefit rather necessarily than an important gameplay addition that's kind of my yes it definitely didn't factor much in our play no no one was even really in that city although i think that simon was kind of waiting to go there and the volcano sort of held him up for yes because he started building as soon as it, the volcano uh, went but <laughs> yeah. it, it can also um, have to do with the order that the companies come out Yes, you have yeah. to buy the companies in order that they come out and they come out randomly every time so i don't it could probably affect you know which companies come out first which is another that's another big thing i'm glad mm. you reminded me because that's obviously an important difference in this game as well is that you can't just float whatever you want yes yeah. so essentially you have to you can only buy the president's share of the second company when the first company's president's share has been bought. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that it has to be operating and doing stuff, but it has mm. to at least have been purchased by someone. Yes. So that's quite interesting because, like you say, the, the order is randomized every game. Yeah. And I think that can significantly change the landscape of how mm-hmm. the game plays. Some companies, I think, are tougher earlier than others. Okay, yeah. As is usually in the case in these games, there's mm. companies that are better early. There's companies that open well late. Yes, yeah. And some companies are generally weaker than others as well. Mm. Yeah, in terms of the nuances of what's weak and what's strong, we're not really sure. Although I kind of poisoned the world by telling everyone the blue company (laughs) was terrible. And then no one wanted to open it for ages. Right, yeah. Yeah. Because I'd heard some some horror stories about that one. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so that's, I guess, kind of sets the stage for what 1849 is and what kind of makes it different. Uh, Fred, what were your 
I guess maybe like we can start with your overall impressions of it. So what did you walk away from it feeling? While we were playing, I was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a fun play for me. Like nothing went according to plan in that play. I, I struggled. I struggled in that play, definitely. Yeah, yeah we yeah. kind of joked about that. Cause yeah. I, what happened that it sort of went so badly... I felt like sort of midway through, I realized that you were in a really terrible position. Yes. So, well, the main thing that went wrong for me, one of the private companies that you auction off at the beginning gives you the president share of the first public company yes. or whatever it's called, right? So I got that private, which means I effectively floated the first company. And then um, Simon was to my left, you were to his left. Uh, it was just the three of us. So then Simon started buying shares into that company. And I was like... I don't really care if he takes over presidency of this company because I effectively play, paid 150 for the, the private company and got shares worth 200 in this company, right? So I've already made some profits. So I didn't really care whether he took it over or not. So I didn't try and stop him from doing it. So he then did take it over. And then uh, the other thing to mention is all of these companies in this game have another certificate that's worth two shares. Yes. So they have the president certificate, which is worth two shares. And then there's another certificate that's also worth two shares. Which is always the last certificate. So the last right. certificate purchased is always a 20% share. Yes. Yeah. And the certificate limit wasn't too bad what was it 12. 12 i think so it wasn't too bad it actually took me a very long time to get there because i felt that money was quite tight in this very. game um so so anyway so simon took over that company by just buying more shares and i let him have it and that was fine but then a little bit later in the game i started thinking yeah i actually want that president certificate back because it's worth two shares and i would also like the other double certificate so i started buying shares back in that company and um, Simon could have dumped that company to me at any point because we both had more than, you know, we both had plenty of shares. So he could have dumped it to me and he didn't. So I didn't think he would dump it to me. So so anyway, so I bought enough shares to become president. He had to give me the president share and then he just immediately sold everything in that company. So he dumped it, basically dumped it on me, even though I took it over voluntarily. Um, so yeah, which I didn't expect at all, but that, that yeah, I think that's where my game went, <laughs> went wrong. And there was something about that company, it never quite did incredible things, no. right? It really struggled with its payouts, it never really mm. took off. Do you yeah. remember which color it was the yellow company, I believe? Uh, wasn't it red or pink? I can't remember. Uh, you that. know what? It could have been pink. Yeah, I think it was... I think it was pink because I remember the the token. Right. For it. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think that was the pink company. It was off to the left of the board. I think. Right. Yeah. Mm. No left. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> yeah. So I I, I don't know. I, I didn't exactly follow what happened. I just remember becoming aware that that company was struggling. I wasn't. I was. I think I was thinking about what I'm going to open, what I'm going to do, and then was kind of halfway through and the dividends were still not great and i was like what's actually well the the company wasn't i mean it wasn't terrible but when simon sold all his shares that was like four of must have been five no four shares that he sold right. and that drops that plummets the stock price in this game so some games the price only goes down one spot no matter how many you sell in one go uh, but in this one they it went down four so that like crashed the stock price and i probably should have also sold some shares then, although then there were already four in the open market. So I could only sell one anyway if I wanted to. Um, but now I had these shares that were so low in value 
which which held me back being with money being as tight as it was as well i imagine it would have probably been a good idea for you to almost abandon that company so to almost sell down just to the presidency float something else and try and get something else going yes well i was i was hoping to do that and there was um so later in the game there was like one other company available to to float really and i was kind of like the timing also just didn't work out because um i think simon might have been priority deal and i had the opportunity to float it but i kind of wanted to wait until the um, permanent trains were available and i was also like keeping into account like you guys so i think you you just floated one and you were going to buy a train but there would still be another train left before the permanence became available or even if you bought two trains i think there would still be one one train left before the permanence came available so i was trying to time it that way but because i'm lost in the stock order i probably like thinking about it afterwards i think i should have floated it then when i had the chance and maybe just not run a route so that i'm not forced to buy a train or something like that you know i should have should have just kind of bit the bullet and, and floated that company because yeah. then in the very next stock round you floated that company um, and then there was nothing else left for me to float all the companies were floated then and i had this one struggling company and you had three i think and simon had one is that right i guess i must have yeah i remember having quite a few at one yeah point. i think you had three companies yeah yes um, oh yeah and there were five hey yeah. yeah so i think it was three one one yeah yeah so mm -hmm. I, I think there were quite a few things and i think this is what's interesting about this game is that the way those companies are coming out and mm. I, I think that's something with more experience you'll probably get a, more of a hang of but i think part of the reason your company performed so poorly mm. was that your best city was blocked by the orange company and the orange company was the last one right in the floating order whereas yours was the first one yes and so you didn't have access to that company basically and to that towel mm. until it floated and mm. we i think were incredibly slow in floating companies and i think part of that was because the blue company was third and i'd gone on about how the blue company is dangerous and it can be terrible and all this stuff right i don't know how true that is but it's the experience of, of someone who who had played okay um, i was listening to another podcast the cardboard reality guys and they were talking about they had the blue company i think come out first and someone got totally owned by it oh, okay. and it was terrible so i was a little bit wary of it and i was like all i know is the blue company is bad you yes, know? Yeah. and i kept kind of saying that but simon did really well with the blue company yeah when yeah. he did eventually float it and and got it going so i think i may have kind of poisoned the well there i think also you can buy the president's share of a company and do nothing with it if you want to. Yes. Just to gain access to the rest of the stuff. And it's not necessarily the worst thing ever. I mean, it's not the best use of your money, but it also yeah. doesn't have to be an enormous investment. Yeah, well, that depends on whether there's a valid route for the company or not. Yeah. Some of them... Well, is there... Are there any that have an immediate route they can run? Maybe not. I don't think so, no. So you're always safe to buy it. But until... Until you do something with it, the stock price is going to go down. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not it's not like you said, the best use of your money, maybe, but I think in, in my case I should have just bit the bullet because it was so brutal for me when I wasn't able to float that company. I really needed to float that company to be able to do something in that game, I think. So yeah. Yeah, and I think Blue could have just 
you know, floated early, not invested too much into it and just tried to mm. build up a route and start running something yeah. Yeah. to try and get the stock price up or whatever. But yeah, I think as a result of that, mm. the, the amount of time it took us to float those companies was very long. We all sat for quite a long time with like one company. Yes. We were quite stagnant for quite a long time, yeah. I think as well. Yeah. Yeah, so that also means the trains didn't really move. Um, so all the companies actually floated before the f- first permanent train became available, which yeah. I found interesting. Yeah, but the other reason I really should have just floated that company is because it was that last company on the left-hand side of the board. So those two companies for me together could have worked pretty well together. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that towel that Orange Company starts on has mm-hmm. an absurdly high income. It has... Yes, it, it does. Goes Especially up to when you upgrade in brown. Yeah, you upgrade it to one thirty in brown, which is big. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. The companies are quite different from each other. Mm. They all have quite a lot of different stuff mm. going on. And I think I think there's quite a lot to process in yes. that game. And I think also, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was new to us, like the hex trains and the dual gauge tracks and that and mm. this floating order thing. Yeah. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So I think we were potentially not necessarily strategically on top of our game yeah yeah well yeah so even though my my play was pretty miserable i i do want to play it again it's not like i think it's a terrible game right i i I had a terrible play of it but that doesn't make it a terrible game i think it's it's something i do want to play again so yeah and Um, i think it's that kind of game i mean it's pretty brutal and it's pretty punishing it's a very cash poor game yeah it's very expensive Yeah, yeah um and you can definitely sit yeah. kind of getting wrecked yes yeah so what was your impression of the game or, so or the play <laughs> it was one of those ones where i was almost like unsure of it while we were playing it and then it was one of those ones that kind of sat with me afterwards mm. so for the next couple of days i thought about it a lot and i thought about all the stuff we could have done differently mm. and i thought about all the stuff i could have done differently as well yeah, it was one of those ones I was just turning over in my head a lot, like, oh, what if I tried this? Or maybe we could have done that. Or, you know, what if I'd launched this or done that or floated that? Yeah. Which is always a good sign for me. Yeah. It felt like there was a lot there to explore that I'd kind of missed. Okay. Yeah. I think, um, so I don't know what the general classification is, but but because of the like narrow gauge and standard gauge, I would guess that this is probably an engineering game. Do you know what what people generally consider this is? I think it it has to be because like those those tiles are so important. So one thing I found out is like at the beginning of the game because they're the narrow gauge tiles are a quarter of a quarter of the price to build, they're very tempting at the beginning of the game. But I found that later in the game you regret it having them. Yeah. Um because because it makes those hex trains like half as efficient basically. Uh so I think you kind of have to at the beginning of the game pay for the for the standard gauge and uh, and get more income that way so yeah also worth mentioning is once a tile is narrow gauge even with an upgrade you have to it has to stay narrow gauge like you can't change it to a standard gauge unless i think it's in the brown or uh, where you get the dual gauge yes yeah um but not in in green hey no only in brown yeah i believe it's only in brown that you get because of all of that all those considerations like narrow gauge standard gauge those things i would say that this is very much an engineering so i think that what i would probably say about it is that it's i think it's a pretty good mix of both Mm. after having read the strategy stuff and how much stock round stuff 
could potentially actually be going on. Mm. I think that, yeah, I think it's it's not at all like 46. Let me put it that way. Okay. This is not a game when played optimally, I don't believe that you launch a company and run it super well until the end. Okay. It's got a lot of that 1830 exploitative kind of like... But is that the only criteria for an engineering style 18xx? No, I wouldn't say so. But I guess what I'd say for the engineering ones is that the stock rounds are a lot kind of tamer. There's less like what people call like stock shenanigans, I suppose. But did we have a lot of stock shenanigans besides that company going between me and Simon? We did not. I'm saying based on what I've read on some of the ways of playing this game optimally... Mm which I guess I'll go into now, right? Um, it makes me think that we played it very much like an engineering game. Okay. But I think played optimally, there's a lot of manipulation of these companies. So I tend to think of stock games as, as like, I think of engineering games as like run good companies games, generally where you generally want to be running the best. I mean, you, all games, you want to be running the best routes you can. Mm. But engineering focused games, I feel like are kind of one on the map. Okay. That's kind of maybe how I'd define them or the map, the operating rounds are very important, potentially a lot more important mm. than the stock rounds. Whereas the the sort of more stock games I would sort of describe as or more financial games are kind of games where I always think of that 1830 exploitative stuff where you kind of abuse a company and then dump it and loot it and whatever. Yeah. So one thing that we didn't use at all in this game is that in 1849 companies can close. Yes. So if the stock price gets low enough, they close. And that means all the money in the treasury goes away Mm. and it gets put to the back of the pile to get relaunched again in the future. So the number one company will then become the number six company Mm. if it gets closed. It'll get shifted to the back of the line, essentially. So when I read up a little bit about this, so we kind of came into this, I think, with a little bit of a 46 mindset in terms of how incremental cap and you want to invest as little as possible. Mm. So that's very different from something like 1830 where you want to float it and get all that money coming in and then use all that money and then dump that company. Mm. That's what you want to do in 30, right? Mm. Whereas in 46, you want to hold on to that stock without buying it for as long as you can so you can get a ton of money into that company buy better trains like only when you need it you'll put money into exactly yeah build better routes more income into the company because it's such a run good companies kind of game like Mm. prioritizing that treasury is important and you don't really abuse your companies in 46 you want them to do well so what i read about 49 is that played optimally it seems like there's a lot of closing companies down okay. as opposed to dumping them. So essentially you buy a bunch of stock very quickly. Mm. So you buy like 50, 60% of a company, which is at odds of what mm. we were kind of our mindset coming in. You get a bunch of money in, you spend all that money, you loot everything you can from that company, you sell back down to presidency and you try and close the company before the trains rust. Hmm. Interesting. And that is a very stocky kind of yes. manipulation stuff going on there which is right. why i say i feel like there's probably quite a healthy mix okay. of both the descriptions i've seen of the game say that it's quite a good mix of both as well okay it's not necessarily like firmly in one camp right okay or the other yeah so like i said that wasn't our experience our experience of it was very much like an engineering game mm. it was very much like we're trying to deal with this terrain and this track we're trying to do the best we can with our companies. We're trying to 
hold on to our shares and get as much money into them as possible. Mm. So more of a, I just call it a 46 style because that's the the mm. basis of a comparison that I have. But obviously there's a lot of games um, that are like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is what I would classify as kind of a more engineering focused game. Right. But just having read that, it makes me think that we neglected a lot of the opportunities for stock manipulation. Okay. okay. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's because of this closing thing. Because if you close it, you just lose the trains. But if they were going to rust, it's fine. It doesn't really mm. matter. Yeah. So you've gotten what you can out of the company. You've extracted all the value. Then it just closes and you can relaunch it again later. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, mm. so there's a potential for... So it's not necessarily about trying to dump it on someone else. So in a full cap game, you would loot that company and then float another company to sort of save that company by yes investing new money into it and this one you don't you don't want to invest new money into it you just actually want to close it down okay because now you've spent all the money that's interesting yeah so you could even potentially transfer your trains over to the other one and then get it closed yeah yeah mm, okay very interesting yeah and i guess that buying more shares also enables you to tank that stock price lower as well when you sold them you yes yeah. yeah which is another reason that you'd want to buy a lot of the company early on mm. Yeah. So you have all this money, you can lay the best track, you can build this beautiful network, sell it, float the next one, hopefully connect to that network, mm. switch your trains over and just try and get that thing to close before you're on the hook. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah that makes me think of some other strategies and things to try. Yeah, yeah so be, as is always the case with these games, there's always these levers to pull that we yes. kind of like maybe haven't seen or haven't really explored. I don't yeah. think that's necessarily because we're so terrible this time. I think that really we were trying to pass all the extra rules stuff in that as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. Which is a lot extra. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that because it's such a cash pure, poor game, your natural inclination is to try and yeah. hoard every penny you can. Make, make some dividends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Run a good company effectively. Yeah. So I think our game played out a little weirdly. Mm. I think that we didn't push the companies very quickly at all. Mm. I think they should be pushed a lot faster, which would also push the trains faster yes. as well. Yeah. So I think we almost fell into that little bit of like a beginner rut where the game sort of moves very slowly. Mm. This is a very quick 18xx by most accounts, but our okay. game was pretty long. It, yeah, it wasn't like the longest we've played, but it was fairly long. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I think that yeah. I, I think that that potentially added to the sort of like less enjoyment, I suppose, because it felt a little bit stagnant, I think, at times. Yeah. We're just yeah. kind of going through the motions. There wasn't that like, I'll float this, I'll float that, dump mm. this, do that, you mm. know. It wasn't as active yeah but i think that it could be okay if we were playing a little bit differently okay interesting yeah, yeah. so I, I think i told you this before but I'll, I'll say it for the cast as well i was listening to the cardboard reality guys they have an 18xx podcast well sort of like an 18xx splinter of their podcast so that's one they do i think once a month they have an episode of that um and they their first episode was on 1849 okay and one of the hosts says the best game the worst game of 18xx he ever played was his first game of 1849. Mm. And his best game he ever played was his second game of 1849. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, probably if I had to yeah, rank my plays, this might have been my worst experience playing in 18xx, actually. I yeah. felt like that watching you. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't yeah. Be, I, I felt like that too. Because it kind of felt like that game of railways of the world we played when rudy just got absolutely <laughs> yes. destroyed and he was miserable he just had bonds up to his eyeballs and just nothing was working ever yes and sometimes 
with these more brutal train games that can definitely happen where yeah. one person just has not such a good time yeah 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 well but i mean the the strategy stuff and the stock stuff and closing of company stuff you said now makes me actually want to try it again and yeah and, yeah uh, i think try that out. I, I think it's one of those things where you kind of get punished and then you're like okay yeah i realize what i've done wrong. Yes, yeah yeah i always try to think about mistakes i made afterwards and stuff um but i wanted to ask you so what's your opinion of the narrow gauge versus standard gauge tiles good addition like you're it's interesting because on the one hand i feel like i don't need it mm. if that makes sense um like I, I won't play 1889 and be like oh i wish this had narrow gauge yes but on the other hand, in that game, I think it functions really well because the terrain costs are so brutal that it creates interesting choices. Yeah, but the terrain costs are brutal because that's the decision the designer makes. Yes. Which is yeah. the same, okay, the terrain costs are brutal, let's add narrow gauge trains. I mean, if you don't make the one decision, you don't need the other decisions. So. Sure, sure, sure. But I, I think that it wasn't just thrown in there. It was mm. like a purposeful design choice, I guess. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I'm not sure. The only thing I didn't like about it was how many tiles there were. Yeah, the, there were an absurd amount of green tiles. Which sounds like a stupid complaint potentially, but I laid out those green tiles and it wasn't stupid when i was putting them out because it was never ending yeah so we actually thought what we do next time is actually not put out the green tiles just have the upgrade chart and you can yes. just look at that and look for the one that you need yes and yeah. i think that's actually going to be easier yeah it will be better yeah because yeah. even picking them out from that pile of 100 or whatever mm. tiles that were there yeah yeah i don't know i think the only really interesting thing with the narrow gauge and dual gauge or narrow gauge and standard gauge is something that didn't even happen in our game and that's if you manage to somehow force another company to buy the train that flips those tiles around so if everyone builds standard gauge then this company suddenly has to buy the train that flips those makes effectively makes that narrow gauge tiles then that company's going to struggle and i think that's really the only interesting thing i mean i could be missing a lot but to me it really doesn't seem necessary at all we've and um, we've had plenty of very interesting 18xx plays that didn't have this at without all. it yeah so do you feel like it adds too much like overhead or upkeep or just like it's not worth i don't think it's worth the amount of different tiles really right yeah like it doesn't add enough to me i mean on the other hand that's the only way maybe to make hex trains interesting because otherwise hex trains aren't really that different to to normal trains when yeah i think i think that those two i imagine probably almost always go together yes i would think so yeah i think that's yeah. probably a thing it's probably a package deal you yeah. have hex trains and dual gauge track yeah. um, i'm not sure i'm kind of staying open-minded about it because I wasn't really sure about it. The mm. amount of tiles kind of annoyed me. Mm. I didn't feel like, oh, wow, this is like such an incredible decision space or whatever. But I'm also cognizant that it was our first game with it. Yes. And I'm not. So I'm staying open-minded with it because I know there's a bunch of other 18xxs that have dual gauge in as okay. well. Yeah. So it's not like this one game just decided to do this weirdo thing. Mm. Yeah. It's actually quite a common, reasonably common convention. Okay. Um. So... That makes me think that there's more to it. Yes. No, I agree. There's probably something we're missing about it or, you know, situations we haven't seen with it. But just in this play, I didn't feel like it, it's added anything really. Yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll play it again and we'll see. Yeah, I guess we'll have to... I think we should definitely revisit that and, and come back to it and see. Mm, yeah. Uh, I know our, our buddy, um, Per. I hope I'm saying the name right. It could be like Per. Anyway, yeah. I'm going with Per. Um, in his description of why... 1849 was number one he mentioned dual gauge track 
part of like the reason why it's one of the things he loves in an 18xx oh, okay. game is dual gauge track so yeah I, I think i'll put that question to the 18xx slack as well and just see what mm. they have to say uh, see yeah. what old hands like jc have to say about it and just kind of see what we're missing in terms of yes. yeah in terms of dual gauge and what kind of makes it appealing or interesting because i'm sure that they can kind of open our eyes a little bit to yeah. maybe some of the strategic potential there yeah, yeah, or what it adds to kind of the decision space or the design space of a game like that, yeah. um, which I think I'll do because I think it'd be interesting to know that going into the next one yeah, and then we can we try and in. fiddle around with it mm-hmm. and see yeah. how we feel about it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Mm. Yeah, but I think it's an interesting question. And yeah, I know Simon didn't really like it either. I think we were all a little bit kind of like take it or leave it. Like I didn't hate it. I kind of felt like with the tiles, it wouldn't be that big of a deal if we just used an upgrade sheet instead of the things I thought it would actually be quite easy to just yeah. do it that way. And then it made me think that the upkeep won't be so bad. Yeah, so I'm interested to try it again and see mm. see if I feel differently about it. I mean, it, it, it made quite a lot of impacts on on my game in terms okay. of my roots and stuff because yeah. i laid some narrow gauge that like you i kind of wished was standard and i did a few switches between the two because you can switch at a station yes uh, yeah. so i did that a couple of times to try and manage my roots a little bit better and, and some of okay. them worked out and some of them didn't so it wasn't that it was like totally irrelevant or anything right no no i don't i don't think they're completely irrelevant um i just didn't in this play see them as being necessary to make it interesting yeah i know what you mean right mm. you could just balance the terrain and stuff differently and just yeah. take out all the upkeep yeah. and additional rules overhead or whatever yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah no i hear what you're saying because every 18 other 18xx we played haven't had it and they've been interesting yeah yeah, yeah. so it wasn't like yes. yeah i agree with you it definitely doesn't need it to be interesting but yeah. yeah i'm curious in terms of what it adds yeah yeah no it'll be interesting to see maybe as we play some other 18xx's as well with with dual gauge track we'll see some more about it yeah so does it crack your top five yeah i was just thinking about that so i was thinking <laughs> about that and i think that it does really i think that it does wow okay uh, i expect it to be your number six so what what was your five what gets pushed out my five was 1846 oh it was and i oh, feel no. so mean about this i'm gonna though. make you play 1846 i know because it feels so undeserved i really yeah. like 1846 actually yeah. but it's more like i feel it feels a little bit unfair because it feels like i'm almost ranking it on potential right uh, so i was thinking of not putting in the top five but the amount I kind of thought about it afterwards and was like mulling over in my head and my excitement to try it again mm. kind of edged it in there for me. Okay. Where I was like, okay. Because I kind of thought, would I rather play 49 again or 46 again? And I was like, no, I'm more eager to play 49 again. Okay. Even though I still want to play 46 again because I really want to give it another shot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So it does, it does edge its way in there. I actually expect that it may go up if you play it again yeah mm. Mm. I'm, I'm kind of expecting it to go up i'm kind of expecting to to like like it more okay once i know more about what's going on yeah yeah, yeah. i feel the same at the moment it doesn't crack my crack my top five but yeah which is after another play it might very well <laughs> which so. is pretty brutal since it's a top six yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah so if it doesn't crack the top five it means that <laughs> it's the worst one i've played <laughs> it's the worst you played but uh, i i totally expected that after yeah. your game because i know it wasn't it yeah, wasn't no, the my most experience exciting. was quite miserable misery trains for sure <laughs> but i'm keen to play it again with four people okay yes so then we'll have all six companies 
Yes, yeah. And we can get Rudy's opinion as well. Because there is the one company that was left out had something interesting to it, didn't it? Yeah, so the one that got left out was the one that gets to pick its home station. Oh, yes. Yeah, mm. it doesn't have a fixed home station. Yeah, which is quite cool as well. Which might be quite brutal if it's the last one to be floated. Yeah, potentially. Mm. Your options are, are quite limited. Yeah, yeah, it would be interesting to see. Yeah, so I'm not sure how that works. If it's the first one, it's amazing. It might get stuck with the volcano city. Oh, it can't take a company that's reserved for an, or it can't take a home station that's reserved for another company, can it? No, it can't. Okay, okay, yeah, because then they won't have anywhere to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and the to- the stations are quite interesting because you buy them all at once. Yeah, you pay for them up front. So when you float the company, you have to take money from the treasury to pay for all the stations, mm. and you get all three at once. All companies have three stations. Um, and what's weird about it is that they have different costs. So some of them cost yeah. like 30 for all three stations, yeah. which is very cheap. Some of them cost, one of them costs 130 yeah. for all three. Yeah. I don't really know exactly why or how that's figured out. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's reasons for those prices. But I quite pricing. like that rule that uh, you pay for all your stations up front because i think that encourages you to put down stations because you're not doing the math you know in the middle of the game or can i afford to put down the station or not you're just encouraged to put them down which again kind of pushes it towards an engineering yes yeah Yeah. um so i find that quite a nice rule actually i quite like that rule yeah i'll be interested to see how it goes next time i want to try some stock shenanigans see if i can pull it off yeah stock shenanigans always excite me whenever i hear about them i'm like ooh, i want to try that <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah so we're playing uh we're playing another game on saturday mm. i think we're playing 89 89 is your your like number five or something oh it might have been my number four. Ooh. Um, what was your number five 30 wasn't it uh i think it was 30 yeah yeah I think that it might be the best like introductory one. We could also bust out a 46 though. Yeah, we could play 46. Yeah. So we're playing with two people who haven't played before. Yeah, right? we're playing with two people who haven't played before. Yeah. I want to get 46 back in your top five. I know. <laughs> I want to play it, but I just, I really, really want to just dump a company on them as well. <laughs> no. don't, don't make them I feel hate. like I feel like, I feel like they've heard so much about the pump and dump. We've got to make it happen. For uh, them. Okay. You think they'll be disappointed if they don't go yeah, bankrupt? Yeah, I feel like I've <laughs> spoken so much about the stock shenanigans and the... Or whatever, whatever. <laughs> We've got to get 89 higher in your top five. Maybe that's my goal. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, 89 is four on, fourth on my top five. Yeah, so 49 was uh, quite an odd duck, but quite interesting. It was, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, I hated it at the time. Well, not hated it, but I was miserable at the time. But I also thought about it afterwards. And yeah, some of the stuff you said now about closing companies and things can, can be quite interesting. So I'm definitely keen to play it again. I'm open to play it again and see you see what the second play is like yeah and the other thing that was quite interesting about it is that there's two win conditions so you can either or end game conditions rather you Mm. can either run out the bank or you can get a stock all the way to the top yes which is actually how our game ended and that's a like hard end you don't finish the current operating round even you just end right there yeah that was pretty crazy yeah yeah. Yeah. like the other the other companies in the same operating round don't even get to act yes it's just done yeah yeah, that's interesting. I am the king. I have reached the top of the stock market. Yeah, yeah which is quite interesting because in another little piece of brutality, your stock token actually only moves up if you pay dividends for as much as the stock price is. Yes. Which I think 46 does as well. Yeah, I think so, yeah. 
46 yeah if you can also do like up to a triple jump in 46 yeah yeah so pretty cool so definitely one that needs a second place so definitely one that we will revisit yeah definitely um because i think yeah we've given you kind of the <laughs> i suppose what it's like and how it works and and how our game went but mm. yeah i won fred left that out but you know ah, oh, conveniently i left it out. it happened i also left out that i was lost <laughs> <laughs> i think they could have garnered that from 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 your uh, your description yeah. there of hard wins yeah so well done simon <laughs> yeah <laughs> no one's that miserable when they when they win yeah, yeah. so i wonder I'm, I'm wondering if there's more that we have to say about or anything else you want to add about it no, I've covered everything in my notes about the play. Yeah, I think the only other thing to add was that this was a print and play. Mm, um, you printed it. Yeah, 1849. You can get a copy of it from All Aboard Games, except right now they're doing their revamp of their whole store and stuff. So they're not doing their normal stuff. They just have a couple of titles on pre-order that are getting the deluxe treatment. Okay. Um, but originally you could get it from there. Um, this was a print and play. It was a redraw that I found on that Facebook group, the Train Board Game Group yes um yeah so you can head there if you want to find it there's a dropbox link there that's someone has posted yeah mm. so it's a really nice redraw though yeah it was good it yeah. was very pretty yeah. and yeah it actually came out quite nicely for our first print and play yes it did yeah i just feel bad for the poor guy at the print shop who painstakingly cut out all those tiles all the hex tiles yeah yeah i had no idea that there were so many <laughs> And then when I was trying to set them up, I was like, oh, my word, this poor guy. I can't believe how long he must have spent cutting. And they only charged me like 150 rand for all that cutting, which in freedom freedom bucks in US dollars is like $10. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah that's crazy. Which is an absurdly low amount for the amount of PT that poor guy had to go through. But he was very cheerful about it. So Okay. Yeah. They, that's good. That that place is awesome. Though. I might use them. To yeah, you must. They'll, they'll do anything for you. They're really yeah. great. They've got the real friendly south african spirit yes <laughs> yeah so speaking of south african spirit okay are we getting on to our south african well i don't know what it is of the week <laughs> so garrett's asked me um which i think is a pretty good question he basically asked me what the difference is between english and afrikaans so other than obviously it being a language difference yes. so south africa has 11 official languages yes nine of them are african languages mm -hmm. um which is sort of the various kind of like not dialects, they're, they're distinct languages, but a lot of them are quite similar. Yeah. But it's sort of the more distinct tribes that were sort of traditionally in the area. Mm -hmm. Each had their own language, so there's nine of those. And then there's English, obviously, and then Afrikaans, which is sort of a descendant of Dutch from the Dutch settlers that came yes. here. Yeah, so Jan van Riebeek, yes. those guys were the first to settle here. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't think it's quite fair to to call someone who arrives by boat to having discovered a country when there were already people living there. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, not that's quite up for debate. But, debate, yeah. but um, yeah, so Jan van Riebeek was Too Dutch. political for a train podcast. Yes, he arrived here and then Britain kind of put their finger in the pie at some point as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think, where the English-speaking part comes from yeah absolutely so south africa i'm sure most people probably know this but it was very important for a while originally very early on it was important as a sort of a stopping point to for the trade east. routes yeah yeah for trade routes to the east um they wanted to get spices from the east and south africa was sort of a convenient place to i guess park and yeah and it's cape town ish yeah, yeah right right at refuel the bottom or whatever yeah. um restock resupply um, yeah, and then later on, gold and diamonds were the big thing. So there was the yes. gold rush and the diamond rush. And 
yeah, um, as is historical, I suppose, a lot of colonists came by to basically loot as much of the resources as they could and yes, industry yeah. and everything kind of built around that. So, yeah, yeah so we we kind of have ended up with two distinct, I guess you, I don't know if it's weird to say white cultures, but basically all the white people in South Africa, Caucasian people, if you prefer, are either English or Afrikaans. Yeah, like European descendants yes yeah. yeah so it's it's kind of two different brands i suppose and i suppose ultimately it stems back to the dutch or back to the british like yes. you say yeah um but it's not just a language difference like garrett was asking there's actually mm. a i guess you could say like a cultural difference yes i would i would call it two distinct cultures even though they're not really that yeah there's a lot of blending between the cultures as well but yeah. there are still some so I'm English, Fred is Afrikaans, but we, yes. we managed to be friends. We managed to oh, work yeah. through our cultural differences. <laughs> no, that's just a joke. Uh, ultimately, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's, uh, to be honest, there's a lot of friendships and, and mixing between all the cultures. So Africa is a very cosmopolitan kind of place. Yes. We have a lot of Indian people. We have a lot of Chinese people. Those mm. are the big other groups that we have here. Um, yeah, it seems to be one of those places that attracts a lot of immigration into as well yes yeah yeah very big indian communities here as well mm. uh, a lot of big jewish communities yeah but in terms of english and afrikaans how would you separate these cultures how would you describe afrikaans people obviously very good looking yeah of course <laughs> of course naturally so I, with very attractive accents i don't know uh, one one thing i don't know if that's really a culture thing but um so if you have a group of people <laughs> Like, if you have 10 people... Yeah, I know where this is going, but carry on. Yeah. <laughs> if you have 10 people, and nine of them speak Afrikaans, and one of them speaks English, then the whole group will speak English. Yeah. So I think Afrikaans people are a little bit more willing to speak English badly than English people are to speak Afrikaans badly. <laughs> I think that's definitely true, and I can say that as someone who speaks Afrikaans badly. <laughs> um, that is definitely true. And I guess it's kind of that sort of, I want to say like English arrogance, like you kind of assume that everyone can speak English. Yes, yeah. Um, so Afrikaans is something very much that you, you're not expected to speak in South Africa, mm. um, but there are certainly very Afrikaans areas yes. and Afrikaans communities. So if I go into an Afrikaans area, mm. then someone will speak Afrikaans to me by default. They will yes. assume that I can understand and speak Afrikaans. Yeah. I can generally understand, but as soon as I reply in English, you're right, they'll immediately switch into English. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's because most Afrikaans people can speak English just because English is so, yes. like, um, you know, spoken everywhere almost. Yeah. Whereas maybe not all English people can speak Afrikaans. Yeah, I think that's definitely true mm, as well. Yeah. That's definitely mm. true as well. And it's very area-based. So if you are in an Afrikaans area, you'll find that people of all races, cultures, everything will probably speak Afrikaans in that area. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so it's not the language itself is not necessarily specific to mm. one kind of group of people. Right, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so Afrikaans culture, I don't know how to describe it really. I mean, there's, there's traditionally Afrikaans foods, there's like sort of Afrikaans traditions. Um, yeah, it is It is sort of a distinct culture, but it's not wild, uh, like wildly kind of out there. I'd say yeah. traditionally, I'd say I associate, and you can tell me if you disagree with this, but I associate Afrikaans culture with being a little bit more conservative in the South African context. Yes, potentially. Um, but, but I think that's all changing. I think it's very mixed now. Like even, even what you might consider Afrikaans food, I would almost call south african food now it's yeah, all just absolutely. become standard 
Yeah, that's yeah. true. I guess if I if I imagine like an old Afrikaans person, like what I'd call like a traditional Afrikaans person, mm. I imagine someone who's white. I imagine someone who's Christian. Mm. I imagine someone who's relatively conservative. Mm. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, but that's general generalizing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the agricultural areas are very Afrikaans. Yes. Um, a lot of farmers is a very Afrikaans culture, I'd say. Mm. I don't really know why that is, but it seems to be the case. Mm. Yeah, a lot of the agricultural stuff is, is quite Afrikaans. Yes. Yeah, so, and in terms of English-speaking South Africans, uh, I don't know, I always joke that we don't have a culture. Um, <laughs> but I, I've always kind of felt that, I felt like Afrikaans people have a, a stronger concept of culture, mm. like a stronger kind of pride and patriotism and almost like a, I guess I want to say like a stronger cultural identity. Okay. If that makes sense? Yeah, I can kind of see Whereas that. Whereas I feel very kind of like vanilla. I don't know. I think mm. all our culture is very much just like British culture, really. Right. Um, it's very much like what you would kind of expect from like traditional British culture. Yes. Sort of like Christmas traditions come mm. to mind and yeah, Standing just gen yeah, <laughs> general kind of like etiquette stuff, uh, the food that we tend to eat. Uh, it's got a very British influence in my, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So one of my, my favorite little things um, is that Afrikaans people call English South African soties. Yes. And this is really funny. Okay, I really love this. So I'm not offended. <laughs> so but it's, it's a little bit rude. It's a little bit rude. From, yeah. yeah. And it's like a little bit it's it's playful derogatory. It's not really intended. Oh, it's not meant as an insult now. No. But the origin of it contains some rudeness. So <laughs> and one thing I want to do on a future episode, I'll save it for a future one, is how funny some Afrikaans terms are. Okay. Afrikaans has like the most incredible terms for stuff. And Soti isn't a good example of this. Um, but yeah, the way they describe certain things and stuff is just hilarious because <laughs> it's so literal, but so awesome. Anyway, right. um, but I'll do that on a future one because I've got a few favorites. Okay. But um, Soti is relevant for this. So English South Africans are, are considered Sotis for Afrikaans people. Yes. So Soti basically means like salty if salty was a noun. Like you're calling someone a salty almost, yes. uh, if that makes sense. So what that means is we have one foot in Africa and one foot in Britain mm. and our junk dangles in the sea, yes, basically. which is why it's salty. <laughs> yes, exactly, which is why it's salty. So yes. that's the origin of that phrase. But yeah, I, I love Afrikaans' descriptive terms for things like yes. that. Yeah. yeah, but that's that's pretty playful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you'll find that a lot in South Africa there's a lot of like playful stuff around different cultures and mm. different cultures, different races, different languages, um especially like if you go to a South African stand-up comedy show, there's a oh, huge yes. amount of making fun of other cultures and everyone yeah. laughs and it's all in good yes, fun. Yeah. So, yeah, if you go to a stand-up comedy show, they'll be joking about if it's a black guy, they'll joke about white people. If they see an Afrikaans guy, they'll pick on you for being <laughs> Afrikaans and make all these sort of Afrikaans jokes and stuff like that. And it's very sort of good-natured. So, yes. yeah, it's a very sort of cosmopolitan country, but quite a integrated country. Mm, yeah. And we're all quite happy to kind of make fun of each other. Yes. Yeah. Which I like. I think it's one of our our strengths. Oh yeah. I we like obviously it. have quite a, a troubled history with a lot of that kind of stuff and so i think it's really great how these yes. days we kind of can yeah like make fun of each other's culture but in a in a kind of i want to say an appreciative way yeah yeah in a good-hearted way yes. yeah it's very much kind-hearted like soti is not meant to be rude no it's, it's funny it's never said rudely i don't think yes yeah. no <laughs> it's very much uh, all in good fun so yes. yeah so that's that um mm. 
Yeah, so thank you, Garrett, for the question on that. Yes, yeah, interesting question. Yeah, and I want to say that if you guys have any suggestions for anything, really, about stuff you'd like to hear about on the show or, yeah, South African concepts you'd like to hear about or anything, mm. really, yeah, we're always looking for new ideas. Like, we want to keep this as a weekly podcast, but obviously we're not always playing an 18xx every week. Yes, yeah. So sometimes we'll do discussion topics and things like that. So, yeah, I think if anyone ever has any suggestions or ideas... Um, I know my friend Per from Sweden mm. um, sent me some stuff as well around that. So thanks for that. But okay. yeah, any suggestions or stuff like that, we are very easily influenced. So <laughs> if one person sends an email, we might do a whole episode <laughs> about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Okay. Cheers. Cheers.